Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories, seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Welcome back, everyone. We are still marching through the Gospel of Mark, and today we round a corner into part four of our study, The Rejection of the Servant, and we'll pick up there right after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, like I said, we are marching through the Gospel of Mark, and because we're turning a corner today into part four, I want to back up just a little bit and do a little bit of review. If you're just joining us, we decided, I decided to do a study of the Gospel of Mark because before we stepped into the Gospel of Mark, we did a study on the Apostle Peter, and we learned about this passionate man who got who Christ was and how getting who Jesus was transformed his life. It's a beautiful story. If you've never really done a dig deeper into the life of Peter, I invite you to go back and listen to those podcasts and do that study on your own. It's a five-point story arc, and I do believe that most of us will see ourselves somewhere in Peter, right? And if you don't see yourself, maybe you're just one of those believers. You're just one of those very faithful people that don't wrestle with God, 
that's glorious too. I tend to be more like Peter, so that I probably just associate with him more because I tend to be rash and passionate and on board, but also critical and concerned and sometimes cocky, right? So all those negatives and also positives. And so like Peter, I've got to make sure that I'm focused on Christ and not myself. And it's just a glorious, hopeful story arc in the life of Peter because we see him transformed. We see him shift his confidence from himself, right, to Christ. And that is the hope we have. And that is the opportunity we have when we follow Christ, just like Peter. So after studying Peter, it seemed appropriate then to study the gospel that he dictated. That's right. The gospel of Mark was written by Mark, but Mark wrote down based on the dictation of Peter. And so it makes a lot more sense when you study Peter uh, to hear Peter's voice, right? So you've got the repetition of the word immediately, 46 times in some translations, 42 in others. This immediacy, right? Because who do we see Jesus In the Gospel of Mark, we have him as the action-oriented servant of God. This is Jesus on the move. This is Jesus doing and saying and teaching and listening and healing. He's doing. He's being active. And his example is for us to emulate, and that is we're not called to a passive Christianity. We're called to be action-oriented also. And so we have all of these examples of what Christ did in his ministry. It's also interesting that Mark is almost an abbreviated gospel when compared to the other three, right? It's only 16 chapters. And I think that's also something we see in Peter. We have this immediacy, this go, 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 go. But we also have it really kind of in brief, right? And so that's why we dove into Mark. I hope that you'll back up. If you've just found us, welcome. We're glad you're here. But back up, go to rachelcarmen.com. You can download the whole outline there, which by the way, I chose the outline that I chose from Talk Through the Bible. It's a great resource on the different Bible books and the overarching theme and every book's outline, all of that. I just love that tool. Anyway, I chose the outline for this study from that book. All of the resources that I've used are right there available to you if you want to look them up. And you're going to notice if you go over there to look that up that it's a very short list and this is why. I wanted to show through this Bible study how doable Bible study is. I've had the privilege of teaching women at conferences and retreats and one-day events, not just across the country, but literally around the world. And over and over and over, I hear women say to me, I don't even know how to study my Bible. How do I study my Bible? And that, that issue and that question just echoes in my mind every time I sit down to prepare for our time together. And so my goal in teaching through the book of Mark was to show you how, yes, you can study God's word. And so the style of study for the book of Mark, and you'll see this reflected in the study guides over at rachelcarmen.com. The style that I'm doing is just a literary study style that I learned back in my college days, and that is we're just going to do a close reading, right? And so the questions that you see laid out on the study guide are just to help show you what it looks like to just do a close reading of Scripture. And the power of doing a close reading, especially if you're familiar with a story, or in this case with the Word of God, this this particular gospel, 
is that it's easy to be so familiar that you read into things in the text that actually aren't there. Or you miss things that are there, right? And so a close reading really keeps you close to what's only actually there. And so those study guides, that's the tool that I want you to see is how do you do a close reading? And then the teaching we have here at the podcast, what I'm trying to do here is to sort of pull out some bigger ideas and themes and questions and things that I want. I want these things to just roll around in your head. Look, the best Bible teachers I've ever had didn't answer all of my questions. They didn't wring every last drop out of scripture. First of all, because I don't think it's possible. I think that's the power of the word of God is how alive and active it is and how it meets each one of us exactly where we are with its foundational unchanging truth. That's the power of it, right? So it doesn't mean different things to different people in different time zones and different places. That's not what I'm saying at all. So make sure you're hearing what I'm saying. There is one truth throughout scripture and yet it resonates with us, right? And it comes to us at different points. I know that in my reading of Mark preparing for this, I've been like, wow, brand new insights because of where I am on my journey. The word of God doesn't change, but it does change me. And that's what I'm hoping happens for you is that it will change you. So we have already done four, uh, three parts of this. So presentation of the servant, opposition to the servant, and instruction of the servant. Those are the three parts we've already done. And those three parts took us from Mark 1 through Mark chapter 10. So today we're picking up in part four, and this is rejection of the servant. So, you know, we've had people really curious about who Jesus is. They've come to him. They've wanted healing. They've come with questions. They've wanted answers. And we've also seen him confronted over and over and questioned by his opponents. But we're really going to see now the absolute rejection of Jesus, the Son of God, the servant. And so we're going to see that today, and we have a very short passage of Scripture today, but I want to start out by going over the list of verbs associated with Jesus, because again, one of the things I want to highlight here is how active Jesus was. Jesus didn't set up a ministry such that he stayed in one spot and expected everyone to come to him. That's not at all what he did. In fact, if you trace, and we're not doing that in this study, but if you trace all of the different places that he went, it's quite remarkable how much ground he covered, he and his disciples, and all the masses who were following him, wanting to sit at his feet and learn from him. But listen to these other verbs in this passage. So today we're covering Mark 11, 1 through 26, and here are the verbs associated with Christ. Again, I'm using the NASB 95 as I do these studies, so that will also mean that the verbs may vary in whatever translation of the word you're using. But these are the lists that I got out of this passage. Sent, he prophesied, he sat, he entered, he looked and left. He searched, cursed, entered, drove out, overturned, disallowed, taught, left, passed, and answered. So again, some varying verbs here. So now let's jump into the text and let's see what these look like and actually what he did. 
The other thing I'm going to say, I think we see here in this passage, and this may ring true, and we can't chase this as hard as I want to either. And again, I'm hoping to just inspire you. That's what I hope to do. I hope that in our time together here on the podcast and or the study guides that you can pick up over at the website, I'm hoping that they just inspire you to get out the Word of God and study and go deeper. I hope that something that I say along the way, this is my prayer, that you go, I want to look that up. I want to study that further. I want to understand that more. I want to find out where else that was in Scripture. Glory to God. That is the whole point of our time together. Because again, I can't possibly wring all this out in our time together. I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping for something to stick and for you to be curious enough. Remember, that is how... The story arc with Peter started was Peter was curious, and it's a great place to start. And if you're curious about who the Lord Jesus is, I invite you to get to know him. It's a great place to start. So in the Old Testament, we had prophets, priests, and kings. All those roles were fulfilled in the Old Testament by men of God. God put prophets, priests, and kings in front of his people to lead his people. And you'll remember when we studied the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured on top of the mountain, he has two of these other role-filled men with him on the mountain. We had Elijah, who represented the prophet, maybe the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, some say that. And there was Moses, who was a priest of the people. Moses is considered to have had two offices, prophet and priest. Priest because he mediated between God and the people, but also a prophet. And you get those writings in the book of Deuteronomy. So you have prophets in the Old Testament. You have priests in the Old Testament. You've got Samuel. You've got Moses. You've got Aaron. And then you have kings, the greatest king of the Old Testament, Israel, the United Kingdom was David, right? And all of them were pointing, all of them were pointing to Messiah, to the Christ. And what's glorious is when Jesus comes, he is all of these. He's the culmination of prophet, priest, and king. And I really believe that in this passage today, Mark 11, 1 through 26, I believe we see Jesus fulfill all three of those roles just in these 26 verses. So follow along and see see what you see, and let's pray and see what we see. In verse 1, this is the glorious thing. We have what we know as the triumphal entry. And here is the first indication of a prophet. So There are two things here at the end of the gospel narratives where Jesus prophesies to his disciples to go and do something. So the first one is here as he prepares to go into Jerusalem. You'll remember we've been watching him. Remember in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he prophesied, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. He told his disciples that three times in the book of Mark. Three times. So they have been heading to Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem, and now they're there, right? And so we see Jesus here at the beginning of chapter 11. He tells his disciples, he's in Bethany, and he says to two of his disciples, they're not named here in Mark, he says, go, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, there's one of our immediately's, you will find a colt on which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So this is Jesus prophesying. Not only is he instructing his disciples about what they need to go and do, he's prophesying about what will be there. He's saying, you're going to go into this village and there's going to be a cult and it's going to be a cult that no one's ever ridden on. And I want you to untie it and bring it here. But unfortunately, when you go to do that, someone's going to ask you, what do you think you're doing? And this is what you are to say. This is truly remarkable. In my imagination, this is not in scripture, but in my imagination, these two disciples are are looking at each other going, really? And yet, and yet they go and they do it. And it says that they found it just as he said. Wow. Wow. Now, in the next few weeks, pay attention because we're going to see that again when we talk about the Lord's Supper, but here I don't want you to miss this. Jesus prophesies. He tells these two disciples, go and do this. They go and they find it just as he said. I want you to know, listener, you can depend on the word of God. You can depend on the words of Christ. And we'll pick up there right after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Okay, so these two disciples come back with the colt, right? They come back, found it just as he said. They untied it and they brought it to Jesus and they put their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. We have Palm Sunday in the spring before Easter Sunday, before Resurrection Sunday. And this is a reenactment. Palm Sunday is pointing to the triumphal entry. That's why we do that, right? And it says here that those who went in front and those who followed were shouting. And this is where we see Jesus as king, as king. Listen, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, here's the deal. The disciples did indeed think that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to overthrow the Romans and he was going to become king. But you and I know that this was his first coming. He is king. He comes as king in his second advent. He's coming to reign, right? But the first advent, he had to come, right, as the Lamb of God. He came the first time to pay our sin debt. He had to come the first time and do that. He comes on a colt the first time. Revelation says he comes back on a white steed as the king. 
of the universe. That's how he returns. But nonetheless, they acknowledge those that are shouting. They acknowledge him as king. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, because Jesus was known as the son of David, right? That's the prophecy of the Old Testament. It says that in 11, that he enters in to Jerusalem and came to the temple. Now, this is one of three times in the next three days in this passage as we continue this time on the podcast and next time on the podcast. Jesus goes to the temple three times, three times. So the first time he goes here, it says he looked around at everything and he left and went to Bethany. Hmm. He looked around at everything and he left. I'm going to suggest to you there's a lot more there than we have recorded in the biblical narrative. Jesus went into the temple and he looked around and then he left. Look, this was his father's house. This was where people were to come and to bring sacrifices. This is where people could come and they could pray and the priest and the high priest. They were here, right? That's how the Old Testament had the whole thing set up. And he is now here to fulfill all of that. As the Lamb of God, he enters the temple, right? And he looks around and it says he left. Very, very interesting passage to consider. What is it that he saw? Well, we pick up now in 15. Again, I can't possibly do the whole passage, but pick up in 15. He left. He went back to Bethany. The next day, he comes back to Jerusalem. And what's the first thing he does? He goes back to the temple. He goes back. He came yesterday, looked around, left. The next day, after spending the night, he comes back. And it says that he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. Wow. This is not exactly Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus going, uh, yeah, no. He says here, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is Jesus angry with righteous anger. He's like, yeah, no, this is not what this place is for, for your profit. That is not what this is for. This is for prayer. You're not supposed to be in here exchanging money and selling things. That's not what this is. See, if you step into the what was going on at the time, there was not a little deception going on. So the common people, the common people of God, the Jew, Jews would come bringing their sacrifices, their lambs, their doves, their goats to sacrifice, right? And unfortunately, they had to be inspected because if you go back to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and study the sacrificial system, the animals that were brought for sacrifice had to be spotless, without blemish, without spot, without stain, without defect. They had to be perfect. And so they would come bringing their sacrificial animal that they'd chosen. They knew that, right? They knew the state that this animal had to be in. They bring it. And there were priests who were evaluating the sacrifice and saying, yeah, no, this doesn't pass the mustard. 
you need to buy one of these perfect sheep because this one's not perfect enough. And Jesus sees this going on and he's like, oh yeah, no, no, no. That is not what's going to happen here because see this practice of deception was a distraction to the people and it frustrated the people. The people came, I believe with pure hearts, wanting to sacrifice, wanting to honor God. And yet all this money was being made. And that's not what was supposed to be going on in Jesus's father's house. And he was upset about it. You might want to go back and study the first cleansing of the temple. So the first cleansing of the temple, you can read about over in John chapter two, the gospel of John includes that one. So it's right after Jesus's first miracle of his ministry. His ministry starts after he turns the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And right after that, he goes to the temple and cleanses the temple. So that temple cleansing is like the one bookend and of the beginning of his ministry. And this is the second bookend at the end of his ministry. Two times Jesus cleans the temple at the beginning of his ministry and here at the end. Wow. Wow. It was a priority for him for the temple to be a place of prayer. And so he comes in and he drives out the money changers and the cheaters and the profiteers. My house, he says, will be a house of prayer. It says that the chief priests and the scribes heard and were pretty upset with him. And they sought to destroy him. But they were afraid because of the crowd. The crowd was astonished, shocked, amazed. I can only imagine how everybody was like, whoa, wow. Because Jesus was serious. He had by now a reputation. Then picking up in verse 19, it says, When evening came, they went out of the city. And as they were passing by the withered fig tree, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look at the fig tree which you cursed. It has withered. And Jesus said, and this is your takeaway phrase for what Jesus said in this whole passage, Mark 11, 1 through 26. Just right here at the beginning, Jesus says, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. See, if we back up and we look at the whole story of Christ, it boils down over and over and over. It'd be a great homework assignment for you to go back and look through all four Gospels and study in which circumstance and which individuals did Jesus say, your faith has made you well. Oh, you of little faith. How many times and in what circumstance did Jesus comment on faith? Did he call people to faith? Did he question whether or not people had faith? Did he shake his head because they lacked faith? Oh, ye of little faith. Who did he say that to and on what occasion? Because right here, he's boiling it down. Remember, he's just gone into Jerusalem. This is it. This is the end of the road. This is where he came to do was to come to Jerusalem. This is the climax of the story, right? And he gets it and no one else really gets it. And so his teaching, right? His teaching is becoming condensed. And right here is a condensation of his message. Have faith in God, have faith in God, he says. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he is, 
It's going to happen. It will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. So let's follow this. He's saying, have faith in God. Believe. Forgive. This is a summary of Jesus' teaching right here after he's cleaned the temple. He wants to make sure he is clear about what are the most important things. Have faith in God, right? Not in anything else. Not in man. Not in position. Not in power. Not possessions. In God. Have faith in God. Forgive, he says. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. And remember when he taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us over and over and over again. Not only is there a faith thread throughout the the gospel narrative in the words of Christ, there's also this thread of forgiveness over and over and over and over. In fact, you remember that when Jesus has said on more than one occasion, your sins are forgiven, that really upsets the religious authorities. They're like, whoa, wait, what? Who gave you the authority to forgive sin? And of course, you and I know that as the son of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the Son of God sent as the Lamb of God, right? He had all authority to forgive sin. That's what Calvary is all about. That's what he came to do, right? So the issue of faith, the issue of forgive, the issue of believe. Believe in God. Believe. Don't doubt. Believe, he says. Believe. This is the exclamation point right here in what he says. But if you don't, here's a warning he gives also. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. You and I would do well to make sure that we have our faith rightly placed in God. That we believe in God and his word and his truth and we do not doubt. And that we are generous with our forgiveness as we have been forgiven. When we get how we've been forgiven... We can't help but forgive other people because you get how much you have received. You want to give it to other people. That's all for our podcast today. Don't forget to go over and pick up that study guide over at rachelcarmen.com. And we will pick up in the last half of chapter 11 and go all the way through 12 next time. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth as well as the faith, religion, 
and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.